This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. Sustainable energy technology is constantly evolving. What's trending up? What's come under pressure because of supply chain, geopolitics, or maybe just science? This week, I'm joined by Megan Hoffmeyer, Director of Sustainability at QTS Data Centers. Megan is a colleague and friend of mine, and I asked her to share the results of her ongoing research in this area. We discussed nuclear power being back in the discussion, how supply chain is severely impacting solar energy panel production, ongoing trends and social initiatives, and so much more. Join us for the conversation. I know you'll enjoy it on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Megan Hoffmeyer, welcome back to the QTS Experience. Yeah, second time, I think. Second time. Um, so I had you come in because our world's losing its mind. On the one hand, yep. good stuff that they're innovating, and I know you keep up with the curious things that are going on in the world. The other thing is, uh, you know, we've got this strife in the world. There's a war going on. There's people kind of maneuvering and... I asked you to gather some of the notes and some of the things that you um, think about, or at least researching. And I love that you showed up with three pages worth yep. of notes, as you always do. I wanted to make sure I had the facts and the numbers <laughs> right, and I can cite sources if necessary. But yeah, it is crazy out there. I think a big topic uh, for everyone across the globe is the war in Russia. Yeah. But on the sustainability side, it's sort of what does that mean for energy? So much of the... They're the, what, the third largest producer of petroleum and oil products? Yeah, in the world. And there's, um, without getting into too much, for me, because I'm not very educated on it, mm -hmm. I love the topic, but it's corporate podcast, so I can't go too far. And I'm just not no. that educated. But in terms of, you know, we think, I think you agree with me, some of the most valuable real estate on earth is data centers, because that's where mm -hmm. the ideas of the whole world live, right? The Our... Um, social media, our shopping, our 911 systems, our the infrastructure of the world lives in somebody's data center. Everything. If Everything. it's connected to anything that you do, it has to be in a data center or right. run through a data center. Right. Somebody's data center. And so you've got this drive. So when you think about that and you've been doing your research, what are people talking about? So because Russia provides so much of the, the oil and the petroleum for the world, a lot for Europe, about 8% of imports um, in the United States are from Russia. There's this... Wait, we import some? I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, not, I'm not anti-importing stuff from the Soviet Union or Russia. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. I thought we, ours was all OPEC or self-generated. So most of ours is from Canada, what I was reading, oh. but... 8% of our imports are from Russia, and that's from the U.S. Energy Information Administration, one of our agencies. Mm -hmm. But that only makes about 2 or 3% of our actual supply. Right. But we are bringing in quite a bit from there. Wow. But the interesting thing I think about that is the fact that now the renewable energy markets are saying, well, hey, let's have a bigger conversation about renewables right. because if anything happens to... Russia, or if right. we all have to blockade them, or just anything politically happens, right. you're going to need alternatives. Right. Yeah. Or, or their adversaries impact their infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, whether yeah. it's not us necessarily, but if they just can't refine it or ship it out. I mean, there's yeah. a whole supply chain there. Right. Pumping, refining. 
transporting. Have you done any research on how we could up the grid to do that? Because that feels to me like, yes, there is enthusiasm for um, becoming energy independent. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I and most of, of course, the people that I know are for that. And it's interesting. I just had a conversation uh, with somebody today, uh, and this is this is not uncommon. We have this all the time. However, people are coming to the table, some because of climate change, some for other things, but a lot of us are for, we want energy independence, at least in the micro of our homes. Mm-hmm. So I'm less resilient on the grid. Um, but also, it's a, it seems to me to make sense nationally. Uh, but it, one of the obstacles is how do we build, it's not just funding the infrastructure, it's mm-hmm. building the infrastructure. Here in Georgia, I see big solar farms going oh, up yeah. on the side of the freeway. Uh, we've got a guest coming in soon from the Ray. Allie Kelly is her name, and, and her whole focus is innovation in the transportation world, mostly roads, and how we can energize roads with Ooh. electric fe- A super cool conversation in a couple weeks. But um, I am still waiting for hovercrafts. I feel like <laughs> I was told that that was going to happen as a child in the 90s, and it just hasn't Sea monkeys delivered. and hovercraft. I remember I tried to right. order a kit. For a hovercraft, um, but I could never come up with the money, and it's probably a good thing because uh, I think it was a scam. But it's like in the back of comics or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, hovercraft, I just go with the drone. Somebody, I don't even need to own it. Come pick me up. That'd be a lot of blades for somebody yeah. my size. <laughs> I think they call that a sky crane. So as you think about it, what's the world, what's your research showed you, if at all, anything? So there's a lot of different ideas out there. There's a lot of different companies trying to attack these from different angles. You've got the the things that are already out there, wind and solar, that right. take up a lot of real estate. And, you know, everything sort of has its pros and cons at right. this point. There's a lot of discussion of solar. Um, how can that be made better? But then on the other side, you've got nuclear as an right. option. And no, it's not necessarily sustainable at this point unless they come up with apparently nuclear fusion, which right. I'm not an expert on. Right. But It's funny how it's come up in the conversation so much, though. Five years ago, if you said nuke, you you oh, were yeah, no. run off of the stage. And now people that I know in the renewable mm-hmm. space are they're at least having a conversation. I'm I'm not familiar enough with it, but they're like, look, do, should we build a nuclear power plant on the on a seawall sea on mm-hmm. the ocean on a volcanic fault? Probably not. We probably <laughs> learned our lesson to do that. But is there a way? to get, you know, as we do these steps on the path to Mm -hmm. optimizing whatever the renewable, including storage, by the way, we had Professor Don Sadaway in here. Storage is another big piece of this. They're all sort of little bits playing together. And how do we find that best um, solution for everything? I think the nuclear reactors bit for data centers is very interesting. So Rolls-Royce is planning to partner with some of the hyperscale data centers and build small nuclear nuclear reactors, which is a small modular reactor on site for data centers. It's a pilot program. It's something that they started, I believe, over in the UK as part of an energy plan over there. And they're not going to be ready till like 2030, I believe. But it's interesting. Now, nuclear, and you're right, you would have been run out of the room before if you had missed if you had mentioned nuclear, but now it's the conversation has shifted a little bit away from renewable energy, which 
I think there is a future eventually for nuclear to be fully renewable. It's only partially right now because the right. steam is, but not the um, the use of the right the waste. You've got the yeah. waste and these other things. Yeah. And the minerals. I believe the the mineral supply that they have predicted in the world would be about 80 years at this point Mm -hmm. but if it switched over to fusion and they were combining instead of splitting they think that we could get much further and it would be fully renewable but i think what is interesting about that is that the conversation has shifted a little bit away from renewable energy to uh carbon free or net zero energy and you're seeing that a lot more in the discussion. That's why people are entertaining renewable because it is carbon free. Right. I I've heard that so many times. I somebody, um, this is gonna be a little segue. Rita and I, my wife and I, went through. Um, we renewed our vows a couple weeks ago. Somebody said, Aww, "Really, congratulations! Congrats. Thirty-five years." But it was our scuba vows, not our wedding vows. Oh. We went and got recertified. Um, in our scuba and our instructor was French mm-hmm. and um, one of the conversations that happened was about France has a huge nuclear program and that's one of the ways that they're able to be competitive even with some of the costs that they have as a government and the way they do things because their power base is mm-hmm. according to him I'm not an expert in it is so low and they get so much power I, I don't know what what I want let me say it differently what I would Hope is that we get smart, capable people that come together in a public forum civilly and let's talk about what is it that we're trying to achieve mm-hmm. over time. And you and I are not selling nuke or any other type of renewable or sustainable energy, but it's let, let's talk about what are the risks, what are the rewards, what are the costs, rare earth materials affect all these programs. Yeah. And so how do we do this in... Um, that impact the climate, that impact, uh, that give us energy independence, that give us the maximum power for the minimum uh, footprint and impact. Let's just do it. Let's not put anything off limits. Let's just have a conversation and work transparently through them. And I've heard that a number of times in the last really 18 months, but the last year in particular, um, nuclear, somebody mentioned they weren't thinking about nuke, but they were talking about um, not just data centers, but just power in California mm-hmm. of all places. So this would be really interesting to, some, to me to see how, whether it's nuke or how this plays out in California, because they were forwarding this idea of on-site power plants. And I was like, we got rid of that when we went to central stations in mm-hmm. the late 1800s, you know, turn of the 20th century. And they said, yeah, but when you have an infrastructure like California's that's, that so, has so many issues where rolling brownouts and sometimes blackouts and things exploding and catching on fire, Oof. it the near-term solution may be on-site power plants for data centers or municipalities or whatever that are separate from the grid to give them time to heal and rebuild their infrastructure. It's a complicated problem. Mm-hmm. So this seems to land right in that space. Yeah, and another piece that makes it interesting is the idea that, as, as you said, you drive along the highway, you see all of these solar fields, you drive through different parts of the Midwest <clears throat> or over in the UK and you see these large turbine fields that take up so much space. Right. Um, nuclear reactors take up far less of a geographic footprint, which is another piece that's attractive to them as well. Right. 
But I like what you're saying about the fact that a smart group of individuals needs to get together. This is a a larger problem that we see with all sustainability things, that there are so many people concerned about the state of the the globe and the impact that we're having as humans, but everyone's sort of attacking it independently right now. And you've got all these various raiders out there. You've got different countries out there trying to come up with their own solution. But people are failing to come together on these things and so we're all trying to keep up with various groups that are telling us well this is the right way to do it well this is the most sustainable way to do it well this is how efficient you should be and it's just it's i feel like it's using up a lot of time and energy to sort of go after all of these different benchmarks that aren't necessarily in alignment with each other and we do need more sort of coming together one of my friends is gary Connolly from host in Ireland and Gary is a huge, this is probably, if not his central topic, it's certainly one of his central topics is the idea of sustainability. But he brings a lot of common sense conversation to it. He's really wooed me to mm-hmm. thinking about this in the way that he does, uh, at least the way that I understand that he does. So Gary, I apologize. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But he, but he loves, um, he loves the idea of green energy, sustainable energy. Mm-hmm. And he's a huge proponent of what they're doing there in Ireland. They have these massive wind farms because they have all this wind and they have mm-hmm. all this space in the North Atlantic and it fits there. He's not saying that work, that particular solution works everywhere. It mm-hmm. works there and they should embrace it. And, and, and his big goal is how do we get to net zero? Um, how do we reduce carbon? This is very important to him. And it generates jobs and it does all these other things. I don't know how he feels about Nuke. We haven't talked about that. But just this idea of what fits where you're at. Mm-hmm. It's probably not um, a 200-year strategy of mining coal or doing these other things. What fits? Professor Donald Sadaway out of MIT said the same thing. How do we take advantage of what we've got but with the eye to move towards what makes the most sense? But it's got to be safe. It's got to be affordable. We want. We don't want to go. You know, mine the oceans of the world for <laughs> rare earth materials. Yeah, if let's we don't make have the to. problem worse. <laughs> you know, we don't. We don't want to do that. But the other thing that Gary talks about that I love when I say smart people, he says this all the time. He doesn't include himself in that, but he should. Philosophers should be on stage. Scientists should be on stage. Politicians should be on stage. Um, people that are around the specific problem, whether it's climate or carbon or the chemistry involved or materials or how it impacts a community, like all of those folks, when I was in IT more directly, when we were first building out cloud infrastructure, the people we primarily talked to were the computer chip guys. How do we deal with heat? How do we make the processor faster? But very quickly, we broke our systems because we didn't deal with the network or the storage. Mm. So if you take these things out of context, or then, and then later, when these assets became super important, we had to figure out how do we do the physical security? How do we do the logical security? How do we... All these things got to come together. And then how do we recycle it? We don't want e-waste. Like, you write these different things, and you don't do that, but just talking to the compute or the operating system people. How do we not get trapped into a particular OS? Most of the world runs on uh, uh, probably 70%, at least of the West's uh, global network infrastructure runs on one OS. If that OS is compromised, what happens to the global? Mm -hmm. So how do you have those conversations? You get a wide range of people. As long as their heart is, how do we solve it? Not just how do I obstruct, 
right? Or how do I make the most money? Or how do I make the most money? Well, there's always going to be that, but I think you've got <laughs> that you get the collaboration of people. Mm-hmm. And I love to hear that there's an energy possibility out there that should be brought back out. Let's evaluate it. Yeah. And if it makes sense, let's continue. And if it doesn't, then let's, as a group, we agree and we move forward. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I, I am looking forward to see how it evolves. It's It doesn't seem like a big thing in the data center world right now, but... Yeah. We'll definitely be watching that one. Now, we've got, you know, we've talked in the past about putting, whether it's on our data centers, and this isn't an infomercial for our data centers, but our data centers tend to be the pretty big ones. And we have a lot of our fr- our fr- frenemies, our peers that also make mm-hmm. data centers like this, about um, putting some of this, infra- we wouldn't put uh, wind farms on them, but maybe solar or some of the next gen fabrics, um, either on the coating the buildings or on top of the buildings. Is that still... Uh, momentum because it introduces complexity to have weight and um, you know you've got to recycle these things you got to work through them is that still an area that the industry is embracing I've seen a lot more probably on solar but there's again it's one of those things where there's a lot of back and forth and no one can agree right now there's been a huge uh, stoppage in solar production because there are a lot of tariffs going on thanks to you know, back and forth of politics from different administrations. And that's causing companies to have to abandon solar. People are losing jobs over that. But then you've also got an issue where it uses a lot of raw minerals, as you were saying, and it's hard to produce. And the supply chain has been a nightmare when it comes to that. So, you know, everything sort of has its drawbacks at this point and Mm -hmm. no one can, no, there's no silver bullet, but I think what you said is really smart about, finding the solution that works for that particular location. Yeah. I love what Sadaway said. He really, uh, over and over, I can't say it enough. He's a uh, genius guy out of MIT. In fact, it's a good segue to talk about energy storage. But Mm -hmm. he said, look, when we started, you can't have renewable energy without energy storage. And when you make that, either the energy or the storage for the energy his three big ideas, one, it has to be safe. Mm-hmm. Two, the materials for it need to be local. It does us no good to make ourselves vulnerable because we gotta get some kind of material from somewhere else around the world or even across the country for that matter, right? That now you're just emitting all kinds of carbon to get it to wherever. And it has to be affordable. It has to be cheap, it has to be safe, and it has to do no harm, it has to be available local. And uh, so that's pretty big task now they he specifically talks about liquid metal batteries and where that's going mm-hmm. it's really interesting technology there are a number of people that we've had on the show talking about storage as you've done your storage research what are some of the things that you come up with so the first one i sort of want to go back to is it's a bit like nuclear that it was taboo to talk about it and it still is it's not something that anyone is really considering in mass at the moment it's the water battery or hydropower hmm. just for the fact that hydropower is not really considered sustainable because of the impact it can have on local ecosystems. Um, It's just, it's not great for the environment overall. And it's susceptible to climate impact. Say something was to hurt a water supply or cause flooding of any, then you've got a hydro problem. Right. So it's not fully sustainable. I think it's just good to address that one. Lithium ion batteries. We all know that they were, 
you know, it was ne- the next great thing for a while. And then, right. oh, no, wait, there's a lot of problems there. Right. Lots of raw minerals again. Uh, the e-waste issue mm-hmm. that you mentioned, you know, how do we dispose of these things? What's going to happen? Right. And then there's the problem of pumping, refining, transporting, and all of the issues that that creates yeah. to make the batteries. One of the challenges with that. So on the one hand, it's like all things. I love the power that comes out of that battery. Yep. Like for a fraction of the space. You can, so if you compare it to old lead acid and some of the others, like it's spectacularly powerful and um, uh, in a lot of ways brings so much value. But when it goes wrong, mm-hmm. like it's the, it's the sun that's on fire, you know, and it's, um, and I'm not trying to pick on them, uh, you know, no. those are part of the data center infrastructure and, and wherever you have energy storage, it's part of our world today. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they scale. It'd be interesting to see because so many people are now talking about that rare earth material. Mm-hmm. Who has it? In fact, uh, some would argue some of the geopolitic issues that we have in the world today, if they aren't springing up now, they they are in process of springing up. Who's got the, you know, I don't know if zinc's one of the materials, but who's got the, you know. Nickel, lithium, and cobalt. Nickel, lithium, and cobalt. You know, 10 years ago, it was all about helium. And now it's these three materials. Who has it? How accessible are they? And if they're a poorer country, do I just sell my soul to, you know, make these things uh, available? That was part of the e-waste problem, you know, or mm-hmm. the smaller um, third world companies taking on the waste of the West in particular, um, and maybe even China, and then not disposing them correctly and causing disaster for their local uh, environments. Um, so anyway, that that's... You know, I, I don't want to spell doom on the lithium ion, but it is a people are now saying, look, there are consequences mm-hmm. to using this. Yeah, it's it. It's funny that it's just we don't know sometimes and maybe we just don't know the long term effects and then time goes on and we start to discover them. But an interesting one that I saw listed as I was doing research, this just came about Bloomberg awarded a company out of Italy for their energy dome. It's a carbon dioxide battery. Really? Yeah. So what they're doing is they are having a closed loop CO2 system that makes a liquid out of the carbon dioxide and store and that's the battery. But the nice thing about it is it doesn't have to be cryogenically cooled. It can be a ambient temperature. Okay. So you don't have to have that additional cooling infrastructure to have plants for this. Wow. And it doesn't, as far as they know right now, it doesn't degrade, um, on a 25-year life cycle, mm-hmm. which is good. And mm-hmm. it's non-toxic, non-flammable. So it's something that is looking to be explored. And I believe that they're going to be building a number of plants for these to try and produce some within the next year, I want to say. I, 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 do we have any idea on how big they would need to be? I'm not. No. I had. To, it was mm. one sort of case study going through this. But it, it looks interesting. Yeah. We had um, we had an organization on earlier. Um, their um, their solution is so there used to be this thing called uh, basically hydro storage, and so you would have water up behind a in a reservoir, and when you needed the power, you would release it down through the dam, turns the turbines, mm-hmm. generates power, and um, when you were done with it, you hydro pump the water back up to the reservoir, emits no 
carbon or very little carbon. Um, problem is you've got evaporation, you've got all this other stuff. And there's an organization that came along, one of the other folks that's trying to tackle this, that took that same concept, but they use non-concrete recycled material in like a big tower. Wouldn't mm-hmm. work in an um, suburban or a metropolitan area, but it would work in a more rural area. And as you drop blocks in the same way that that water runs past the turbines, you drop these blocks or you release the blocks. And as they come down slowly, they turn the engine and it generates power. And when you have an excess of power from the grid, it raises the blocks back up. It's actually a fascinating Hmm. concept. They went public last year. I just like to see people working on how do we, again, coming together, how do we solve a energy storage problem so we have more energy independence? Mm -hmm. And we're not doing harm against the environment to the best of our ability. Yeah, and taking more of the traditional fossil fuel power plants or coal producers off the grid slowly and replacing them with more sustainable options. Yeah. Anything else turning up in the research that's uh, caught your imagination? It's it's fascinating out there because I feel like everything that we've read about will change drastically in the next, what, year? Yeah. So it's there's always something happening out there. I went to a sustainability conference a couple of years ago before the pandemic, and they were doing some really cool stuff with, you know, creating fuels out of trash and compost fuel and just the craziest things that small companies can come up with. I think the most heartbreaking thing is, you know, how do you help see this to a larger adoption or right. fruition? And what works you know, the things that work great, for example, maybe for my house, they may mm-hmm. not scale. So how do I do something that um, is affordable and easy to do for my home or my small business? Right. And what do I need to do for the grid or, um, uh, you know, a large metropolitan area for the airport or, you know, military base or something like that? Uh, it just seems to me in particular with the way the world you know, we hear a lot of saber rattling around chip manufacturing, mm-hmm. not just the supply chain, but there's some geopolitics out there about, um, uh, you know, who gets to manufacture them. Yeah. Um, nation states wanting to interfere with that, arguing over national waters, and, you know, around that stuff. And it's it just, uh, you know, the, the more... The more that is away from, um, you know, the more that's isolated in a particular area, the more risk it feels like we're going to entail. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that your group is responsible for, so we've talked a lot about energy, Mm -hmm. is also some of the social programs. Yes. What are some of the things you think, I don't don't necessarily mean us, it can be us, but in general, um, how are people embracing this idea of Yes, resources, whether it's power or it's water or things like that. But how are you extending or how are groups imagining how we reach out into our communities, either local or more national, to um, you know have, have that part of the conversation? No, that's a great question. So uh, we, not to make this a commercial for us, I challenge every company out there to do this because I think it's fantastic. Acknowledge the impact that you have as a manufacturer or a distributor or a producer or whatever service it is you provide. Just acknowledging your footprint and seeing how you can either offset that or breathe some good back into the world through various social programs. So we've chosen very intentionally a few 
areas to help, which is providing clean water in developing areas because water is a huge issue. Water scarcity has been acknowledged by the UN in the past several years as becoming a larger and larger issue. So base what we do here is success-based giving. Mm. For every contract um, based on a certain amount of power, we give back to a our donations are through World Vision. Mm-hmm clean water to a certain amount of people Mm. in a developing nation. And then for very large contracts, we actually go out and build a water point Mm. in somewhere like Kenya or Uganda or Burundi to help an entire community. Mm. So two of those have been finished thus far. One of them serves 800 people in a community in Kenya, and one of them serves 100 people in a smaller community. And we've got several more coming online. But that's been a great program, and it's just it's nice to give back, you know, knowing there's so much we can do to lessen our footprint as a company and make ourselves more efficient, but then really using our success as a company to help out others. Another area where we've chosen to help is, and there's lots of groups who do this around the country and around the world, but uh, planting trees. We understand the developing land has an impact and we are seeking to, you know, help reforest and help build habitats wherever we can. And we're doing that through American forests. But I know that there are lots of companies who do this as well. There's like the the Million Tree Pledge and a few mm-hmm. other groups. Uh, the groups, uh, so World Vision is a um, global organization. American Forest, is that just US? Just US. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, I, I believe his name was Jad, Jad uh, Daly, mm-hmm. I think, is the yep. CEO for American Forest. Um, if people haven't listened to that podcast, not trying to do a shameless plug for the show, but they should go back. I was amazed. It's not just that they, uh, our participation with them is supporting, um, you know, the reforestation of so many areas, not just that's being land developed, but land that's been scarred by storms or flooding or fires right. in a lot of cases, strip mining. Right. So many things. But they also help. Um, populations of animals either that mm-hmm. have been disrupted or that are um need to be repopulated or whatever it's pretty amazing what i really liked about it was he walks through the science of why this is important it's not just um it's not just an emotional thing although there's a lot of emotion around it here's why it makes sense for the rural areas here's why it makes sense for um the metropolitan areas. Here's why doing these things, a lot of what they do isn't just, you know, some forest out there. It's things within a community. Um, oh, the urban reforesting the that they're doing The urban reforesting. Now. Yeah. It, it, I was like, well, what, help me to understand that. Um, and he talks about, look, here's the real data around when you remove trees from a concrete jungle, mm-hmm. this is what happens practically to the heat in the area. Here's what happens to energy costs. Here's what happens to Hmm. an emotional element. I was like, really? Absolutely. Um, Professor uh, Dan Kamen from Berkeley, also completely unrelated, but has a lot of experience in this area as well. Here's how it helps our grid. Here's how it helps our communities. Here's the societal impact. Yeah, we're quite spoiled here in Georgia because we are one of the most forested, but I think Atlanta is one of the most forested cities as well as Georgia being a forested state. But I've had people come here from other states visiting and go, 
I didn't realize there were so many trees here. Yeah. But I guess you just don't see that impact until you go elsewhere. Sometimes. Well, they don't play disc golf. Oh, if yes. they play disc golf, <laughs> per my disc golf collection You know here, there's lots of trees. There is lots and lots of trees. They make great um, targets for your discs. Yes. I, <laughs> it's amazing how I can... Uh, I there, There's a thing uh, called... Uh, uh, FTA, first tree available. I yeah. tend to hit the first tree available pretty regularly. think it's going to be a nice sail down the fairway, yeah. but nope, hits It's the really, it goes about 11 feet mm-hmm. and then rolls. If I'm lucky, rolls back to my feet in shame and says, yes, could you just <laughs> try to go that way? Chasing it down a hill into a mud pit or a <laughs> stream. Yeah, it's not been great, but we're going to move off the topic of shame. The other <laughs> thing is, you know, Georgia, not only do we have um, such amazing forested areas all, all throughout the, you know, our our uh, metropolitan areas as well. We are the national champions, both in the major <laughs> league baseball and collegiate football. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, we should probably point that out. That's true. And we did win the MLS soccer championship a we, couple of years ago as well. Yes. So, you know, that's what happens when you force correctly. It's trees. It's important. When you guys, uh, in your role, when you're when you're looking at some of the topics you want to research next, what are some of the things you kick around that are... Something I've been very interested in lately, and I I don't know much about it at the moment, but I need to dedicate some time and energy to it, is on the angle of trees, there's been a lot of discussion about... We've heard documentaries for years, you know, if if the bee population goes away, then the human race is in trouble. Well, there are some organizations out there, and starting in Ireland where they're they have the orchard initiative hmm. where they're building flowering and orchard trees or they're building up the populations of them mm-hmm. and having tech companies contribute to planting those so that the bees have a place there's also a group called DCs for bees that I'm very interested in looking into so some a little bit more on that angle I would love for you to come back on the show and talk about that I became fascinated with bees I forget how many years ago, but I want to say it was a 60-minute special on killer bees, the African killer bees, or wherever they were coming from. I want to say they came up. Somehow they ended up in mm-hmm. South America, and then they were coming up this way. But these killer bees that were just wiping out other bee populations and you know, were this um, systemic threat. And I know in some parts of the country it still is. The second is um, what you described, which is, look, if bee populations, they support our infrastructure in a way that we just almost like ants in a way in fact probably very similar here's what they do by their pollinization here's mm-hmm. how they absolutely our ecosystems are tied into these things but third and most importantly the most interesting beekeeper i've heard so far is the lead singer for metallica <laughs> yeah is um James, I forget what his last name is. Um, you win five cool points if you know without looking on your computer. But he is a he got into bees and started talking about he was on either Joe Rogan or some other podcast talking about his love affair with bees and all the benefits uh, you know bees bring, mm-hmm. but how peaceful it is to raise bees. That doesn't look particularly peaceful to me, but it looks really cool. Yeah, we watched an interesting documentary last year. I, d- I think it was called Honeyland, maybe. I, I would have to look it up. But it was about an older woman out in the, the Asia Minor countries <laughs> keeping bees by herself. And a, a gypsy population comes in and sort of decimates her bees and just the good that they do. And wow. she has to rebuild. It's fascinating. It's a little sad, but very fascinating. Right. 
Well, I will, uh, I'll check that out. What have we not talked about today that we should touch oh, base goodness. on? Oh, goodness. I mean, there's always something new happening here. It's, it's a fun process to put together our sustainability report every year because mm-hmm. we sort of get to dive into things that we have done, what's coming that we should be talking about. So our report should be coming out in the next few months here. And, uh, you know, we're always sustainability is like I said, it's evolving. Things will probably be a totally different conversation in a year. I strongly believe that because as soon as we publish a report, we immediately have to start thinking, you know, what are we doing as a company to continue improving? What's going to happen next? Things don't get to stay status quo in this. And it's not something I ever expected to be working on. Um, I've been in data centers for over a decade and Mm. it's very interesting to do this because you don't think I'm going to go work in technology. Let's talk about trees and, and building wells. But it's so important and I'm really glad that companies have acknowledged this nowadays and it's honestly getting more competitive out there amongst our peers and I think that's great I welcome that because we all need to be concerned with these things I had a gentleman talk to me about ethical capitalism and one of the things that he was trying to make this point was that the purpose of a company uh, um, Simon Sinek made this point really well as well should not be about profit. They have to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it is one just in the same way that you and I have to breathe and drink water and eat food. Uh, some of us are <clears throat> more skilled at that than <laughs> others. But that shouldn't be our purpose. In fact, if it is our purpose, we go sideways pretty quick if that's yep. what we're all about. But it is about, um, you know, whatever a company's purpose is, but it should be at least in part, if not fully, about how do we help human beings flourish? Mm -hmm. That's uh, my personal philosophy. And I I think it is absolutely whatever industry you're in, how can we be as efficient as possible without, I don't mean efficient at the cost of people Mm -hmm. or, you know, being foolish and unwise. That, you know, austerity in that case. Where the machines just take over everything. You know, that's, that's not, that's not wise and it's not helpful, but. Skynet. Yeah. yeah, Don't even get me started. That's a conversation for another day. Uh, But it is, uh, yes, we absolutely need to be efficient and working towards that. But we're all, we're, we're a community of people. Mm -hmm. And so how, you know, everything that we're doing should be for how we support our community, whether it's, we're operating these things more efficiently. So we have less impact on rare earth materials, or we have less impact on the resources that are finite that we're consuming. But also these other things, you know, today it's water and trees. And I just love that so many of our peers are embracing this idea. How do I help the people around me first? And then how do I extend that circle in real, whether it's, um, whether it's the type of help like with trees that is sort of a, um, you know, it's not a direct, it's an indirect thing, mm-hmm. but we're, you're, what do they say? Rising tide raises all boats, right? I, I do things like this, but then also how do I put a face to those specific people in the case of water wells? How do I get out there and really affect this community mm-hmm. so that these children, which is one of the things we've talked about before, it's usually children that are doing that journey. How do we wrap this up so that we can, um, or how do we deploy this so that these kids are, you know, don't have to walk some am- amazing distance? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all day long to the point where they can't go to school and they risk injury in their lives to get water every day. So they're just sort of stuck in this cycle. Right. 
But no, I think that's a great point. Something that I'm seeing more and more from our customers and from our vendors and whatnot is these drive for sustainable supplier programs where we're being called to submit our sustainability data to various groups, customers, whoever it might be, to prove that we're trying to be as good of a company as they are right. so that, you know, it's not just you operating in a vacuum to be sustainable. You're sort of using your your values to influence all of your peers to do the same thing right. or your customers or everyone that you're really to. And I think, I think that some people won't like that pressure, but it's good from the fact that it's got everyone thinking about their right. impact. I love that, you know, with that governance aspect, um, this can be so, if you don't have governance, it's, it could very easily just be a marketing program, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at us, we're doing something. But when you add governance and you have an independent agency or agencies, like all governance, come in and do an evaluation and then publish it, mm -hmm. um, hopefully the community that uses the services of the industry that you're in say, hey, I, I love that you've, you've stated that you're doing these programs. How do you demonstrate that you actually do them? Mm -hmm. How do I make sure the door is actually locked, that your seatbelts actually work? How do you test that and validate it and verify it? And I and and I do I agree with you. I think that there is first there was people were kind of drug into that mm -hmm. governance. And now, thankfully, in many cases, they embrace it. Oh, okay. Let's see how we can outperform each other in an area of helping other people flourish and then have it actually validated. And um, now now let's see you, you know, it's like it's like a pitch perfect that's the dance off or the oh, sing off yeah. or whatever in the singing in the swimming pool. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it started uh, off, as you said, it could be just a sort of marketing thing. But now people are saying, well, you know, I'm concerned about my performance as a sustainable, com sustainable company, but I'm also concerned about upstream and downstream for me. Right. If I'm doing it, but my suppliers aren't doing it, then, you know, is that any better, really? Right. And if we aren't offering programs like e-waste recycling, mm -hmm. Are we any better? Because we're not disposing of things properly, and that's really just—it's not a circular economy. So. Right. Love it, but Megan. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, happy to. Um, we'll give you probably a little bit more heads up than just a few days next time, that's and uh, uh, have you come in with more research information. Thanks again. Here anytime. All right. And if you've enjoyed the show, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. And we'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. See you, everybody. <laughs>